Welcome to Tell Us About It, Victim Research Convos, a podcast from the Center for Victim Research with support from the Office for Victims of Crime. On each episode of Tell Us About It, we talk to researchers and practitioners about their work, the tools being built for use in the field, and how we can work together to build an evidence base for victim services. Today, we're talking to Carla Veertaylor and Jennifer Grove of the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. Carla and Jennifer, can you each tell us a bit about your role at the NSVRC? Sure. Hello, everyone. Uh, This is Carla, and I am the Advocacy and Resources Director at the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. Our team works a lot on uh, resource development and training around all aspects of sexual violence. Uh, We provide technical assistance to um, researchers uh, and other requesters uh, throughout the country and throughout the world. And hi, this is Jennifer Grove. I go by Jen. I'm the Prevention Director at the National Sexual Violence Resource Center. And on the prevention team here at the NSVRC, we do training and we provide information and resources around the primary prevention of sexual violence um, across the country. Well, welcome to both of you. We're so grateful you had the time to speak with us today. Jen, can you give us a quick introduction to the NSVRC, your mission and your work? Yes. Well, our official mission at the NSVRC is to provide leadership in both preventing and responding to sexual violence through collaborating, sharing, and creating resources, and also promoting research. But the way I like to talk about the NSVRC and what we do is that we are the place to go nationally for information and resources on responding to and preventing sexual violence. Our core funding comes from, um, for the Resource Center, comes from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So our focus really is on the primary prevention of sexual violence. We have the world's largest library on the topic of sexual violence with just under 45,000 unique titles. We provide customized in-person and webinar trainings. We have a website um, that includes a section we call the campus, where we have a lot of online learning tools that we've created and other organizations have created as well. We collect materials from all over the world. We also look to see where there are gaps and we work to fill them, either that through um, our staff, creating resources or consulting with other people to create resources where there are gaps. We also coordinate the National Sexual Assault Awareness Month, um, and we have an initiative that provides information and guidance on how we can message our prevention work as advocates, and also several resources for journalists on how to talk about sexual violence and its prevention. And last but not least, we have a very strong social media presence. We're on pretty much every platform you can think of, from Facebook to Pinterest to Instagram to Tumblr to LinkedIn. Um, We're there. Jen, NSVRC has a history of working to build a research base for sexual assault prevention and response. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, we've always been really invested in supporting the work of researchers and making sure that advocates and preventionists um, and practitioners have access to that research. Really since our inception back in 2000, we've made a point to develop strong relationships with researchers and we also um, have a commitment to being an entity that researchers can tap into for those connections to the field. 
So when I say the field, those are the you know on the ground folks, um, the people doing the work um, in the communities. And so the researcher and practitioner connections have always been very important to us. I know NSVRC does a research priority poll. Can you explain a little bit about that? Carla, why don't we turn to you? Sounds great. I would love to share a little bit more. Um, first, I want to take one quick step back and say that uh, as the NSVRC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are one of our primary funders. And part of what we do with them uh, is they have a rape prevention education grantee program where the money funnels in most cases across the country to the State Department of Health, who, again, in most cases across the country, then goes to the State Sexual Assault Coalition uh, to work on priorities around rape prevention education. So with our priority poll, what we decided to do starting in 2016 is to reach out to state departments of health and state sexual assault coalitions and ask them what their research priorities were. Great. And then do you use that information to develop your poll or is that your poll? So how we gather the information is first we reach out to these, these both of these separate entities and ask them what their research priorities are. Um, and then we get, so it's an open-ended question and we get some responses. And then what we do with those responses is we'll sort of synthesize the information to get to a place where we have a list of topics. And then we send the survey back where, the, where we ask them to select their top three topics from that list that we generated from the first part of the survey. Great. How often do you do this research priority poll? We do the poll once every two years. So, so far we have done it in 2016 and we have done it in 2018. Can you tell us what changed in the 2018 poll from the 2016? Interestingly enough, the top, the first top priorities stayed the same across those two years. The first priority was culturally relevant prevention strategies and then primary prevention strategies. But the third priority is what changed. In 2016, the third priority was people who commit sexual violence or recidivism. Um, and in 2018, we actually had four topics rise to the top, and the third was sexual violence in rural communities, and the fourth was trauma-informed practice. Another change between the 2016 priority poll and the 2018 priority poll is that we heard from an additional 15 state or territory health departments and sexual assault coalitions. Uh, we heard from 40 in 2016, and in 2018, we heard from a total of 55. Great. Can you tell us a little bit about each of those priorities and a little bit more about the research that people are interested in in each of those priorities? Jen, we'll start with you. Yeah, so one of the first um, priorities was culturally relevant prevention strategies. People really want more research on what works for communities outside of some of the mainstream prevention programming that's out there. Um, so some of the questions that they're asking is, can, can those programs be adapted for specific communities? Are there other ways to make a prevention program really fit with the culture and norms and values of a specific community? We know that programming works best when it reflects the culture and the values of that particular community that folks are working in. And so when communities can really get behind it, um, they feel like, you know, they can really feel like it reflects what's important to them. We always say, you know, 
prevention programming is best when it's of, by, and for the community. And so that's what um, we really think about when we think about is this culturally relevant, this prevention strategy? And so they really wanted more information and research on that. The second topic was primary prevention strategies. That was a big priority, and as it has been for quite some time. So primary prevention, for those that might not know, is, is really about stopping sexual violence before it even has the chance to happen. So it's looking at the social norms, ideas, attitudes that contribute to a culture where sexual violence is accepted and tolerated. And so with these strategies, we're looking at, you know, what does primary prevention look like? What are we trying to prevent? And also, what are we trying to promote? And thinking really deeply about what that programming looks like um, in communities at all stages of life, from young children all the way up through adults. And I will share about the final two priorities. So the first is rural areas. And what we know about rural areas from the most recent census is that rural areas cover 97% of the United States land area, but contain only 19.3% of our total population. So it's a huge area with not a lot of people um, that has very different and unique uh, considerations when it comes to sexual violence. Um, some things to think about in terms of, of rural areas or some challenges are uh, transportation and access to victim services, uh, the close-knit nature of rural communities that can resu result in the lack of anonymity and confidentiality around victim services, the lack of providers in rural areas, and isolation of victims in rural areas. So these are some of the challenges that come forward but we don't really know a lot about the prevalence of sexual violence, specifically in rural areas, and we don't know a lot about the needs of survivors in rural areas. So there's some research that's been done in rural areas, but not enough to really have a good grasp of the, of the issue. And then trauma-informed practices um, is a sort of been a buzzword in our field for a long time. And I think the best way to describe trauma-informed services is for service providers to ask, what has happened to you when working with victims instead of what is wrong with you? And to really treat um, survivors from the approach of, you have experienced trauma, there are responses that the human body goes through that can be long-term when a person has experienced trauma, and how can I meet you where you are to provide the best services possible? I can see why each of those four areas rose to the top of your priority poll. They're all really compelling. Outside of those poll results, are there other research priorities that you all at NSVRC have identified? Yeah, so this is Jen. Um, we we do have other research priorities outside of the polls. We are we're very connected with our funder, which we've talked about, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. We're very fortunate to have a good connection with them. We communicate with them about research that is um, that is coming down the pike. We we have planning meetings with them and with our other national technical assistance partners that we, we talk with them on a regular basis about how we can promote the research and translate the research for the field. That's a really big piece that we 
add to um, to the research puzzle, if you will, because we know that not everyone has time to read through a lot of the, you know, really delve into a lot of the research that's being done. They want to know what does this mean for me in practice. And so one of the things that we are funded to do by the CDC is to help to translate that research for the field. So some translation topics that we've done um, recently have been around um, research around harass harassment in the workplace, the global status report on violence. Um, we have done uh, prevention strategies for perpetration research translation. We've looked at alcohol policy approach approaches and the research there and have done translations. We also do talking points. So think helping people think through how do we talk about this research? Um, and so the talking points we've done have been around research on the cost of rape, the National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey data, and school district sexual misconduct policies. We also have a strong connection with researchers, um, really, like I talked about before, from our inception, we've had some great researchers on our advisory, our National Advisory Council from the beginning, and we currently have researchers on that advisory council. We regularly connect with them to stay abreast of what's in the work so that we kind of have an idea of, of what folks are working on, what researchers are working on, and then really thinking strategically about how we can promote that and possibly translate that for, for the field. Great. So you have all these inputs into research needs, and then you at NSBRC are able to translate. I know that you can translate the findings. How do you get the information about the research needs out to the research community and then maybe also to the practitioners who want to partner with researchers? We do that in multiple ways. So we have a lot of relationships with researchers um, in the sexual violence field. And also when folks are working around sexual violence, we are sort of a natural reaching out place for them to go to. Um, so we make ourselves available and we definitely try to create connections between practitioners and researchers. Um, we do get that request quite frequently of how can I have access to practitioners? How can I have access to survivors? And although we don't do that directly, we welcome people to post um, their surveys or needs on our Facebook page. Um, another way we do that uh, is through kind of creating connectivity. Um, so forming the relationships, but we also host the National Sexual Assault Conference, which is a great opportunity for, for us to sort of connect with researchers who are sort of meeting uh, the priorities that, that um, state departments of health and state sexual assault coalitions have set forth annually and sort of connect researchers with practitioners that attend our conference. Uh, and as Jen mentioned, our advisory council is a wonderful opportunity. Um, so we definitely have some researchers that are on our advisory council, and they do a lot of connecting us to others in the research community and sort of letting folks know what we can provide at the, as the NSVRC. I'm so glad that you mentioned the National Sexual Assault Conference. That has really been growing over time, and we know that practitioners and researchers find conferences to be one of the most fruitful places to build those connections um, and to help really understand what's going on in practice and in research. So I'm glad to hear that, uh, that that's really a fruitful avenue for NSVRC as well. What do you think researchers and practitioners 
who are interested in these topics can do right now to begin working on these priority areas? This is Jen. Um, I would say that one of the things that, that we do to help people think about how they can start working on these issues is really encouraging researchers to connect with that community work to gain a better understanding of how programming and policies really play out on the ground. It's also important for researchers and practitioners to reach out to each other and work together. And as Carla talked a little bit about how we facilitate some of that relationship building and making sure that we're connecting folks, um, but really thinking about how they can work together to build the research base. There are a lot of types of evidence that come into play, especially in this type of work where we don't always have, um, we don't, we don't have a ton of research like some other topics do. And so we look at um, the different types of evidence. So not only should researchers um, be focusing on the best available research evidence, but they also need to realize that practitioners can help them tap into other forms of evidence like experiential. So the expertise and the intuitive knowledge that practitioners have, and then also contextual ev evidence, which is really looking at the knowledge about how or if a strategy is useful or beneficial to a specific community, and then why that is. And so I think there's a lot that both groups can, can be doing to work with one another to really think through how to address these priorities. So that piece around that connectedness is something that we really um, are really focused on and one of the things we really encourage researchers and, and practitioners to do. That's great. Broadening the understanding of what the evidence is, is important for both researchers and practitioners. Can you tell us about other activities that NSVRC has to help practitioners be in the place to uh, collaborate with researchers, to um, build up a basic understanding of research concepts or the use of data or things along that line? So one of the things that we we have that we offer folks is this Ask a Researcher Forum. This is an online forum that we've conducted in various ways over the past several years to provide an opportunity for those working in communities to directly connect with researchers. So these are topic-specific discussions. Um, we've been doing some of the most recent ones via Facebook um, with questions being asked and answered in real time. So again, that's one way that we are trying to connect researchers directly with, with the practitioners and the communities. And it's been really successful and we've had a lot of good comments that people really appreciate the the assistance in sort of demystifying research and researchers um, and really seeing this this like really human side to like this these are people who really want to connect and really want to understand the issue and how it how it plays out um, on the ground level. So one of the ways that we connect um, with practitioners is through our technical assistance. You can reach us in a variety of ways, um, through our website, through email, through our phone lines, through social media, um, and we really um, will respond to any and everything. Um, one of the things I always talk about when I talk about NSVRC is the fact that we can send you um, articles in research journals without without cost, because um, often these are inaccessible uh, if you don't have a subscription um, to an academic journal 
or journals. And um, that's something we can share with uh, copyright limitations. So when folks reach out, they may not even realize that they're necessarily looking for a researcher. They may just have a question about a challenge that they're facing in their work. Um, and because of the relationships that we have formed and uh, the, the people that we know in the field and the research that we know that's taken place in the field, we can connect them to the research, the researcher, um, and really make it kind of complete the circle. That's great that you can provide that kind of personal connection to people who may not even know what they're asking for, but you can hear their question and know how best to direct them and, and when it's appropriate to bring in a researcher. I want to go back for a minute to the Ask a Researcher uh, programs because that sounds terrific. How often do you try to hold those? We hold. We seem to hold those. We have about two to three a year. I think this year we had two um, Ask a Researcher forums. And so it really kind of depends on, I think we, we are funded to do two. That's in our work plan. But we're always open to doing more as topics arise. Um, and so that's our goal really is to do two, though, a year. And we also um, use our research priority poll to inform what who we invite as the researcher and what topics we ask them to cover. Great. And can people find out about those by following you on social media? Absolutely. I want to close with a topic that we like to ask all our guests. When you look down the horizon, what do you see as the future? What, what issues do you think researchers should be paying attention to that are just starting to show up? One of the big areas where we see currently see a gap and where a lot of questions are being asked is prevention programming beyond the individual and relationship level. Um, we have a lot of great research around how bystander programs work and what that looks like. And so that's really looking at changing individual attitudes and behaviors, changing the way people interact with their peers and families in those relationship areas. Um, however, where we where we know some of the most change can be affected when we're doing prevention is really at those larger community and society levels. Um, and so we really are looking at, you know, trying to figure out how can we how can we push research and researchers to this community level prevention? What does it look like? How do we evaluate it? How do we know what? what to do at these levels, how do we evaluate that work? What does the larger societal societal and policy level work look like? And I think we've done some work around policy and looking at certain policies, but there is some data out there that we're pulling forward. We can pull from other violence, um, other violence types where we know there's some really great policy level work and community level work happening. And we're trying to look and see how, how does that connect in with sexual violence? So there's a lot of shared risk and protective factors between sexual violence and intimate partner violence, teen dating violence, youth violence. And so we're looking at learning from these other fields, but we really see that 
this is a really hot topic. This is an area where a lot of people are being, sort of the funding is pushing people there, but the research hasn't caught up with that yet. And so people are asking a lot of questions um, about how to do those outer, the outer level work and, and evaluate it. Um, I'll use an example of um, Aaron's law. Aaron's law is the law that, you know, every, it's an unfunded mandate that every state needs to incorporate per, um, prevention programming in K through 12 public schools. And so every state um, has kind of come up with, not every state, because again, it's an unfunded mandate, but the states who've really invested in it, every state does something different with that. We are trying to, we've captured here different ways that each state has taken that law and worked to get it to include sexual violence prevention, healthy sexuality messaging. Um, and it just looks so different in so many different states. And I would love personally, as someone who's kind of worked on the back end of that, to see a research looking at, you know, that broader level, you know, how is this working on the policy level in each state? Um, I would love to see more research around that. And that's just a particular example of that policy level work. From my perspective, um, I feel like this isn't on the horizon. It's been around for a bit, but we haven't, the tools have not been created yet. The research has not been done. And that is around culturally relevant evaluation. Um, we've been looking at evaluation for a long time when we talk about rape prevention education. Um, there are some large scale expensive programs who have, uh, some, have seen some evidence-based uh, results that are positive and have evaluation tools. But what we know is working in communities is that community-based um, prevention programs, and often um, these are done in culturally specific communities, and there, though that kind of standardized evaluation doesn't work in those communities. So I think a big gap that we're experiencing is we need to be using evidence-based tools in rape prevention education, um, but we don't have the capacity to evaluate some of these smaller programs that have adapted to their community um, in education, um, but have no tools to evaluate the work that they're doing. Um, and we have ways to see that it's effective, but not that would, that, not that would be considered evidence. Wow, there is so much going on. This is clearly an opportune time to use research to make a difference in sexual violence prevention and response. Carla and Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tell Us About It. If there are research or practice experts you'd like us to interview or research tools you'd like us to feature on this podcast, email us at podcasts at victimresearch.org. Tell Us About It is a production of the Center for Victim Research, funded by the Office for Victims of Crimes Vision 21 Initiative through Cooperative Agreement Number 2016-XV-GX-K006. The Office for Victims of Crime is part of the U.S. Department of Justice's Office of Justice Programs. However, the points of view and opinions discussed on this podcast are those of the host and expert contributors and do not necessarily represent the official position or policy policies of the U.S. Department of Justice.